Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. everybody and hey if you got your bibles head over to jonah chapter 2 jonah chapter 2 is going to be this morning and um, hey um, i want to do something real quick and I, I need the help of everybody that's in the room where i'm speaking right now and if you're joining in with us at one of our physical locations i need your help uh, lake point family um, obviously what we've got right now is there's a percentage of our church that uh, whether it's because of health conditions or just where they're at with their comfort level they haven't been able to rejoin us in person yet um, but they're still like connected to the church. They're still, many of them are still serving. They're still giving. Every week, um, they're joining us, uh, Lake Point Nation uh, Church Online, and we're setting church online uh, uh, attendance records like every single week right now. And so they're still part of our church family. They just, we're waiting to rejoin uh, them right now. So here's what I need. If you guys are in the room and at all of our physical campuses, can you help me show those people how much we miss them and how much we can't wait to see them again? Let's do that right now. That's right, man. That's right. We can't, we can't, we can't. So man, uh, uh, Lake Point Church Online, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you. And uh, God bless you in your PJs on your couches. All right. Well, hey, um, I do want to just uh, do one thing. Some of you guys are like, I should have done that. No, 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 it's good to have you. Uh, one thing I want to, uh, just real quick announcement heading into the message. I want you to mark your calendars for the weekend of December 6th and 7th. The weekend of December 6th and 7th. You know, um, 2020, it's just been like not an awesome year for a lot of people. And uh, that's an understatement of the century for some of you. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to kind of ring in the Christmas season where we focus on the light, hope, joy, uh, and joy of Jesus in kind of a special way. So that weekend, December 6th and 7th, um, what we're going to be doing that week is uh, that weekend is going to be called Let It Snow. That's what we're calling it at Lake Point, Let It Snow. And in big church, for all the adults, we're gonna be doing some really fun stuff. We're gonna be having like a, a lighting of the trees deal, and we got Lake Point ornaments for your families that we're gonna have ready for you. We're gonna be kicking off our Christmas series that week. Uh, but what 2020's really been tough for is like especially families and kids. And so we wanna make it really special. Now, um, Texas is awesome, okay? I just wanna get that out of the way. Texas is awesome. But it's the middle of November, and it was 83 degrees yesterday, okay? So let me just say that. I'm, I'm still getting used to that. Y'all are clapping. I'm getting used to that. So the chances of the snow coming to us seem pretty small. So we're going to bring it here, okay? So on that weekend at all of our campuses, we're going to have like snow like 
real snow, enough that your kids can actually play in it and throw snowballs. We're gonna have snow at all of our campuses for the kids. They're gonna be able to play. We got hot chocolate and cookies and carolers and you know some of their favorite Christmas people, uh, characters. We're gonna have all those here just because we want our kids to, to love church and want that to be a week of joy. So mark your calendars for Let It Snow, first week in December. Does that sound fun? I think it's gonna be fun. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. All right, so do that. Well, here's where we are right now. Um, we are, right now, we're taking four weeks uh, to preach the book of Jonah. There are four chapters in Jonah, we're going four weeks. And what we're doing is we're learning from a guy that God gave a calling and he ran the exact opposite direction. So if you want it, <clears throat> this, is what they, uh, this is what a Bible degree will get you right here, okay? The, the entire book of Jonah in three sentences. God said go, Jonah said no, God said oh, so yes. Bible degree, that's what a Bible degree will get you. And so that's what we're doing, we're learning from this guy and uh, if you were here last week, what God did is he called Jonah to go to Nineveh uh, and preach to them, preach the gospel to them. Now, what you gotta know is uh, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, this was not like your little family mission trip to Jamaica. Um, a sea, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the largest, most brutal empire in the world at the time. Historians now refer to the ancient empire of Assyria as a, quote, terrorist state. I won't go into all the gory details again, but there are actually stories of Nineveh and Assyria skinning their enemies alive and hanging those skins on the walls of their city just to let everybody know, here's what happens to our enemies. And God calls Jonah to go there, okay, there. This would be the equivalent of God calling a Jewish person to go to Berlin in 1944 and call out against the wickedness of the Nazi regime. It was a nearly certain death sentence. And so what Jonah does is Nineveh was 500 miles to the west. Jonah goes to Tarshish, 2,500 miles to the east. And here's what you gotta know is that whenever you run from God, it's always a downhill spiral. That's what happens in Jonah's life. And so as soon as he runs from God, God sends a storm, probably a hurricane, because these experienced sailors couldn't make it through it. And then the sailors gotta throw Jonah overboard and leave him to essentially die. And then Jonah gets swallowed up by a fish. Now, we can kind of chuckle at this story, but what you gotta understand is that this was the crisis moment of Jonah's entire life. Think about this. In this moment when Jonah is at the bottom of the ocean, Jonah has won. He knows that he's betrayed his God. He's run from his calling, and in that moment, he probably thinks he'll never fulfill his calling. He's lost everything, and he's waiting to die. It's the crisis moment of his life. Now, let me apply this to us. Guys, everyone everywhere experiences pain. You are going to experience a rock bottom moment in your life. It's this fallen, broken world we live in. Everybody experiences pain, but watch this. Most people waste their pain. Most people, they don't know how to profit from their problems. They never learn how to, how to learn from their losses. And what you're gonna understand as you read the Bible and walk with the Lord, you're gonna understand is that believers who grow up into maturity, they're people who learn along the way how to harvest their hurts, how to advance from their adversity. To grow in Christ over the course of your life, you've gotta learn how to gain from your moments of pain. And if you don't do that, you'll spend your entire life getting more bitter 
instead of getting better and being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, remember what I said, there, there's a little anchor sentence that I actually wants you to hide in your heart. I heard it from somebody else, but it's an anchor sentence to help us understand the Bible. So remember this sentence. Guys, the Bible is not an old book. The Bible is a timeless book. So it doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us what always happens. So when the Bible in Jonah chapter two, when it tells us this, what happened to Jonah is his crisis moment, his rock bottom, his breakdown ended up being the breakthrough that catapulted him in his life to fulfilling his calling and becoming the man God wanted him to be. Now that's what Jonah chapter two does, is it shows us how to take a breakdown moment and turn it into a breakthrough moment. And so that's what this message is about. What do you do when life feels hopeless, okay? What do you do when life feels hopeless? Now, four quick things you gotta track with me, all right? Number one, when life feels hopeless, you've gotta draw near to God. You gotta draw near to God. Look at uh, verse one of chapter two. It just says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to his God. Jonah, in his crisis moment, what he does is he turns to God. Now, when you get into a moment of pain, loss, and hopelessness, you got one of two choices that you can make. You can either trust God and run to him, or you can blame God and run from him. And I'll be really honest, I have, that second one has never made any sense to me, because if you're running from God, what are you running to? If you're running from God in the midst of pain, loss, and hopelessness, you're running away from the only one who can actually, that's in control of it, and it can actually do something about your pain. So, so the question is, what are you gonna do? Where are you gonna look when you hit rock bottom? Now, I wanna give you a visual illustration of this just to help us understand what can happen when we hit our rock bottoms. You know, I, I mentioned this earlier. For, for a lot of people, 2020, it's just been a year of domino discouragement where it's just been one thing after another. For some of you, here's what 2020 looked like. You know, uh, back in March, you're hearing about this, you know, virus and you know, pandemic in other country, and all of a sudden, you know, kind of the first hit came, oh, there's no toilet paper anywhere. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're, you just, you became an at-home employee, you couldn't go to the office anymore. It's Zoom meetings all day. Just knock you a little farther down. And then, uh, and then for some of you, then, you know, you lost your job. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, what we're seeing in our church and what stats are showing right now is that, man, uh, there's never been more marriage problems in any time in our, in our country since I've been alive than right now. So for some of you, your marriage just really took a hit, knocked you a little farther down. And then uh, right now, there's a mental health pandemic, the biggest mental health pandemic in our nation's history is going on right now. So for some of you, anxiety, depression, loss, they just knocked you a little farther down. And then in the last few months, the worst thing that could possibly happen to you happen, you became a homeschool mom. <laughs> and then, and so this is a spot right now. You're in this spot. You're at rock bottom. Now listen, I'll be honest. For a lot of people, they talk about meeting with God. They talk about mountaintop experiences. But in my experience, what I've seen is that rock bottom will teach you more lessons than mountaintop experiences ever will. This isn't a terrible place to be. In fact, a couple things. I heard Tony Evans say one time, he said, sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you'll discover he's the rock at the bottom. You see, sometimes what God will do is we'll never discover that God is all we need, that the ground can hold, 
We'll never discover that God is all we need until God is all we have. And when you get into this spot where you're in rock bottom, pain, loss, and hopelessness, you know, here's the other thing. When God knocks you flat on your back, the good thing about it is you're finally looking in the right direction. And so when you get in this spot, what we've gotta do, if you're gonna leverage the loss, if you're gonna become a person who learns to turn a profit from your pain, you gotta be a person who when those moments come, you draw near to God. Now you say, Josh, well how do you draw near to God? Well it's really easy, this passage shows us. What you do is you cry out to God like Jonah did. Cry out to God like Jonah did. Look at, start in verse two, and listen close to how Jonah prays. He says in verse two, he says, in my distress, I called out to you. In other words, God, I am so upset right now. Think about this prayer. I'm so upset right now. And then he says, you hurled me into the depths. You can almost hear the accusation and anger in Jonah's voice. God, you did this to me. How could you do this to me? And then it says, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents, they swirled about me. God, it just feels like everything is out of control in my life right now. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. God, I am just so overwhelmed. I said, I have been banished from your sight. God, it feels like you're not even there. Or if you are there, it definitely feels like you don't care about me. Now, guys, you, you wanna know how to cry out to God in pain, loss, and hopelessness? Here, here's how you do it. You tell God how you feel honestly. You tell God how you feel honest. Now you may hear that, and you may, there, there may be something, if you grew up in a more religious background, you may have this check in your spirit, where you're like, man, Josh, it feels disrespectful, it feels ir irreverent to complain to God. It's not irreverent, that's honest. God already knows how you feel, you might as well tell him, and if you spend your whole life giving God these trite, here's what God doesn't want. He doesn't want these trite, memorized prayers. Oh, no matter what's going on, God's good all the time, all the time, God's good, praise the Lord. See, that might be the right prayer for you, it's not real. And what God wants is a real prayer because he's not looking for religion from you, religious observance, he's looking for a relationship with you. And, and listen, God can't relate to who you're pretending to be. He needs you to bring the honesty of your heart to him and say, God, this is where I am. And a lot of times what you're gonna see all throughout the Bible is when somebody gets honest with God about how they feel, that's when the breakdown turns into a breakthrough. You know, I'll give, give you one example of this. The Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. It's 150 prayers, most of them written by a guy named David who God says was, quote, a man after God's own heart. Did you know this? Not all of those Psalms are just joyful prayers of thanksgiving and worship. A third, a third, think about this, 50 out of 150 of those Psalms are what Bible scholars call a lament. That's David complaining to God. I'm gonna give you some examples of things David prays. And listen, I'm quoting the Bible, so don't send me the email. Okay? David prays things, when David gets attacked by his enemies, he prays things in his anger. He's just venting and processing his anger in the presence of the Lord. David prays things like, God, I am so furious at these people. Will you kill them and kill their children and dash their teeth against the rocks? God, that's how I feel. There's a psalm where David looks out at the prosperity of all of these godless people in the world just living their own lives of selfishness. And David prays, he's just real honest. He says, God, honestly, when I look out of the world, it looks like a lot more fun not to follow you than it, than it is to follow you. 
Guys, there are so many Psalms, I can't pick just one to quote, where David essentially says, it doesn't even feel like you're real, it doesn't feel like you're there. God just wants you to be honest with him, because he wants a relationship with you. Um, I wanna illustrate this. So the poem I'm getting ready to read you is over 100 years old. It's called The Prayer of Farmer Brown, okay? The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keyes, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. Well, it seems to me his hand should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. It's an Irish poem. And I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, a-standing on my head. Now, that's the end of the poem, but I added a few verses of my own to this poem this week. Okay, here we go. But Jonah said, all these are right. I know none of them will fail, because the best prayer I ever prayed, I prayed inside a whale. (laughs) I'm not done. (laughs) It didn't matter where I was or what I said, God heard, and it was no fluke. That passionate prayer came to God, and he made that big fish puke. (laughs) So when and how and where you pray doesn't matter a single lick. God says that when you pray, honesty will do the trick. There you go, right there. There it was. (laughs) Uh, How about I stick to preaching, and we'll all just be just fine. So you just need to cry out to God in honesty, okay? Cry out to God in honesty. Now, number three, You've got to cooperate with God. You've got to cooperate with God. Now, I want you to notice this. Look down at verse seven. Start in verse seven, and listen to how Jonah prays. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. So in that moment, man, I'm, in the moment when I feel like all hope is lost, I'm remembering my God, and my prayer arose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Now, I want you to notice something. We now know, because we've got the vantage point of history, we can look back and we know what God was trying to do when he sent the storm, he tossed Jonah in the ocean, and he sent the fish. We now know that. Jonah didn't. But in that moment, what Jonah did is he, was, he knew God was trying to do something, but Jonah had to cooperate with God. He had to surrender his heart to God, and Jonah does that. He says, God, I'm not looking to these worthless. I'm not looking to all the other things in the world that I think will satisfy me anymore. I'm I'm gonna let you do your work of pruning my heart right now, and he cooperates with God. Now, I I wanna give you an example of this. So it's interesting. You've heard your entire life about Jonah and the whale, okay? There's actually no whale mentioned anywhere in Jonah. The word is fish, and it's a different word than the Hebrew word for whale. They had a word for whale, they didn't use it, they used the word fish. So a lot of Bible scholars think that the fish that God used to swallow Jonah was the largest fish, non-mammal, whales are mammals, the largest fish in the ocean 
which a whale shark. Now I wanna show you a picture of what a whale shark is. This is a, this is a 40 foot whale shark right here. Right, that's a 40 foot whale shark. Now, what I really want you to see is the mouth of this sucker. So this is the mouth of a whale shark. And there's Jonah swimming right, right there, and that's Jonah. And uh, so you see that, now you'll see this, uh, this next one, I want you to get kind of a, this is actually a diver that was almost swallowed alive by a whale shark in the Pacific Ocean. Now, does it look to you like that mouth could fit a guy in there? I, I think pretty easy. Just to put this in perspective for you, this is a whale shark compared to an 80 passenger bus. 80, now, that bus fits 80 people in it. You think that whale shark could fit one person in it? I think it could. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're Jonah. Now, see, again, try to, try to not think about the fact that we now know the rest of the story. Imagine you're Jonah, you're at the bottom of the ocean, you, you think you're being punished for what's happening, and all of a sudden, this, show that next picture, this is what you see coming at you. That's the gaping mouth of a whale shark. If you saw that, what would you think was about to happen to you? I'm gonna die. This is the end for me. But guys, can you just watch this for me? Think about this. What we know is that the storm the ocean and the fish, they were not sent to kill Jonah, they were sent, that fish was sent to save Jonah. What Jonah thought was punishment was actually providence. God sent that fish, watch this, God sent that fish not to pay Jonah back for his sin, but to bring Jonah back from his running from God. And you see, I want you to imagine this, think about this for a second. When you're in the middle of a problem, a fire, a storm of life, if you're anything like me, what I'm praying is, God, get me out. Get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. And we think that's how God's always gonna work. I want you to imagine this. Imagine Jonah gets swallowed by that fish and he thinks he's gonna die and he's just waiting to die. And there was probably a moment where Jonah was praying, God, get me out, 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 I'm gonna die, get me out, I'm gonna die, get me out, I'm gonna die. And then there came a moment where Jonah came to his senses and he realized, wait a second, I'm making it in here. God's keeping me alive. God's not getting me out, but he's getting me through. You see that? Now watch this. Sometimes God doesn't save us from the waves. Sometimes Jesus walks with us through the waves, and the knowledge of him that we develop in the waves is better than mere avoidance of the waves. See, God will do that in your life, and he, what he'll do is he'll use the pain, he'll use the loss, he'll use the hopelessness in your life to bring about something good, but you've gotta cooperate with him to help it happen. Now, in the next few, uh, two minutes of this message, I, I'm gonna speak to you in a very straightforward way, it's a little thick. The reason I'm doing this part of the message is because I am not preaching to impress you, I'm preaching to help you. So track with me for a second, okay? If you read your Bible, what you're gonna notice is that there are four purposes God has for your life. There are four things God wants to happen in every life, everywhere. Number one, he wants you to know God. God wants you to know him. He didn't want religion, he wants a relationship with you, we call that salvation. Purpose number two is he wants you to find freedom. He wants you to get freedom from the sins, the issues, the things that enslave your life. That happens in community, it happens in life groups. We call that discipleship. Now purpose number three is he wants you to discover your calling. You were not put on this earth 
just to waste resources and waste time and collect possessions till you die. You were put on this earth for a reason, for a, with a purpose and a calling to fulfill, and God wants you to discover your calling. You don't wanna get to before the judgment seat of God and God says, hey, did you fulfill my calling? And you go, oh, I didn't even know I had one. God wants you to discover your calling. And then number four, fourth purpose, is God wants you to make a difference. We call that ministry. Now, now watch this. A lot of people know that God has those four purposes for their life. Here's what a lot of people don't know. God uses pain to accomplish all four of them. He uses pain to accomplish all four of them. Okay, think about this. God wants you to know God. You remember what I said when I was laying on the ground a second ago? You'll never realize God is all you need till God is all you have. It's in moments of loss and pain that you realize I'll never be able to make it without God in my life. And the testimony of probably hundreds of people in this room and thousands and millions of people across the ages is that they met God in moments of great pain. So he uses pain to help you know God. He uses pain, watch this, he uses pain to help you find freedom from your issues. Every time you're in pain, it's an opportunity to work on your character and your attitude. You know, when you lift weights, which I don't do very often, but when you lift weights, there's that little saying, no pain, no gain. It's the exact same thing in the Christian life. Is that those are the moments where our spiritual muscles are, there's, are, are experiencing resistance and they grow out of the resistance. You can't grow in your character without pain. Use this pain to help you find freedom from your issues. Discover your calling. This was the entire message last week. God will turn your, your greatest ministry will come from your deepest misery. Uh, you know, we could say it like this. Guys, you can't have a testimony without a trial. God's gonna use your pain to give you this ministry and help you discover your calling. It was really encouraging. I just wanna give you an example of this. So last week, I pre preached that message. And I received a message from somebody in our church, somebody maybe watching online right now or in this room. And this is what she said, family in our church. I got it on the screen, but I'm gonna read it to you. Hi, Josh, I wanted to thank you for your message this past Sunday. My husband and I lost a baby eight years ago that we delivered the same night as a very large forest fire in Colorado began in our town. Cue the PTSD for the next couple of years for me. Totally understand. The Lord asked me to go back to school during that time, and I started at DTS. That's a, a theological school in the area. Six years ago, with no clue why he was asking me. And then last week, I had my first shift as a chaplain, and listened to the first person that she helped on her first shift there. And I helped walk a mother who had lost her four-month-old baby out of the hospital. God had turned my misery into ministry. I haven't cried that much in a sermon in a while. Now, do you see this? How will God use pain in your life to help you discover your calling? Your mess will become your ministry. Your pain will become your platform. Your trial will become your testimony. He uses pain to help you discover your calling. And then last, God uses pain to help you make a difference. Guys, everybody knows this. No one can be an effective minister in, of any kind who hasn't suffered because we're ministering to people who suffer. Pain sensitizes you to people's sufferings and it equips you to minister. There's a verse I wanna read. What a lot of people do is they think when they go through moments of loss, pain, failure, hopelessness, they think, oh, that's it. You know, I, whatever calling I had, well, that's off the table. Now I need a plan B. Okay, let me read you this verse from Romans chapter 11. There's, look at this verse. This is what God says to you if you're in a season of pain, loss, failure, hopelessness, it says God's gifts, 
the things the Spirit's put inside of you, and his call are irrevocable. They're irrevocable. Whatever gifts God gave you and whatever call he put on your life before you experience the pain, the loss, the failure, uh, the, the, the moral breakdown, uh, all the, the hopelessness, whatever call he gave you, that call is still in force because his call is irrevocable in your life. I wanna say it like this. Guys, God has no plan B for you. You can't experience something, you can't do something that forces you into a plan B because you messed up the first thing because his call is irrevocable. You say, man, that's right. You say, man, Josh, yeah, yeah, that's great, but you don't understand, you don't understand uh, the, the affair that I had. God has no plan B. Oh, you don't understand uh, the, you know, the, the failure that I had. God has no plan B. You don't understand, Josh, the, you know, the bankruptcy that I had to file. God has no plan B. You, you don't understand you know, how old I am, how young I am. I, I ran from God for a long time. God has no plan B. When Jonah ran from God, that didn't change God's, God's call in his life. Why? Because God's will for your life, God's call, is irrevocable. You may say, Josh, yeah, but I've been running for my call my whole life. I probably only got a few years left in my life. Well, then you better get busy because if you're still breathing, there's still hope. God wants to do something with you and whatever call he's put on your life is irrevocable. God uses pain to help us make a difference in this world. Now the last thing, and it's the most important thing, because you'll never do the first three until you get this fourth thing. You'll never do, let me say that, you'll never do the first three. You'll, you'll never do the first, you'll never draw near to God, you'll never call out to God, you'll never cooperate with God unless you do this fourth thing and it's you've gotta trust God's heart. You gotta trust God's heart. My favorite verse in Jonah 2 is verse 9, and you won't understand why until after I read it. This is what Jonah says. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Here's why I love that verse. That was verse 9. Jonah doesn't get vomited out of the fish till verse 10. So Jonah is going ahead and he's praising God while he's still in the fish. Why? Because even if he didn't understand God's hand, he trusted God's heart. And he knew that God was gonna do good for him because he understood that God is a good, good dad who does good things for his kids. Okay, uh, let me, so here's the question. The question is, if you're in it right now, you're not in a fish you're in the middle of the divorce, the cancer, the bankruptcy, the failure, the depression, the anxiety. You're right in the middle of it. How do you know that God is gonna do something good in your life? I love this so much. Bible scholars have pointed out for centuries that the centerpiece of the book of Jonah is substitution. Jonah doesn't just die for the sailors. He dies instead of the sailors. And the entire book of Jonah it's pointing forward to Jesus. In fact, you may never notice this before. Remember there's a time where a bunch of uh, religious hypocrites walked up to Jesus and they demanded a sign. They said, oh, if you're really God and you're really good, show us a sign, show us a miracle. You remember what Jesus said? He said, this wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign. None will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jonah. He said, Jonah went down into that fish for three days. I'm going down into a grave for three days. And I'm doing it not just for you. I'm doing it instead of you. Because I love you. 
Um, Jonah, I, I wish I had time to go into this. In chapter two, when Jonah prays, he quotes the Psalms eight times. He's praying the Psalms eight times. One of the Psalms that a lot of Bible scholars think Jonah is praying is Psalm 32, where it says this, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. An old Bible scholar named Jonathan Edwards comments on that, and he says that is exactly what Jesus did. Listen close. He says the judgment, he said, imagine, imagine you're standing in a valley, and you're in front of a dam hundreds of feet high. Imagine that. He said, the judgment of God is like a mighty river held up by a dam. Suddenly, you're standing in the valley looking at the dam and you see a crack form in the dam. It splits open and a wall of water several hundred feet high rushes towards you in the middle of the valley. You cannot run from it, you cannot hide from it, your death is certain. And then right in front of you, the ground shakes and suddenly a great chasm opens right in front of your feet. And all the water drops right into the chasm and not a drop touches you. This is what Jesus did. The judgment of God was coming our way. There was no running from it, there was no hiding from it. And he took the cup of God's wrath, he drank it to the dregs, he turns the cup over and with a loud voice he shouts, it is finished. I took all that punishment for you. The entire substitution, everything, everything that should have happened to you, Jesus took for us. And what that means, because we know God's heart for us looking back at the cross, it means that we can trust an unknown future to a known God. It means that when I don't know what the future holds, I know him who holds the future. And even when I can't understand his hand, I can trust his heart. You can do that when you're in pain. You know, let me land the plane like this. Romans chapter eight, so you're in it right now and you're looking around at your life and nothing seems good. Nothing seems good. And it's hard to believe that. Here's what Romans eight says, listen to this verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work, circle that word in your Bible later, together. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I wanna give you an example of this. Where's that cup of coffee? Where's my coffee here? So what I got right here, thanks Rob. What I got right here is the greatest substance known to man. Nectar of the gods. Black coffee, that's it. Now, I love black coffee more than, it's my favorite, guys, black coffee. So I got it right here and taste and see that the Lord is good. It's marvelous. Uh, this is awesome. Best substance known to man, okay? But I want you to think about this, what it takes to make a cup of black coffee. So I got right here, so I got some Starbucks coffee grounds. If I taste these Starbucks coffee grounds by themselves, <laughs> I should have planned this a little better. Oh, that is terrible. That's terrible, okay? Now, what I've got right here is I've got uh, this French vanilla coffee make creamer that my mother-in-law loves. But I tell you, I'm, going, I'm channeling my inner youth minister right now. If I taste this by itself, That is not good. This is not good, that's not good. Now here's what I got right here. Battery operated water heater. What I got is scalding hot water, coffee temperature, okay? Now if I, I'm not gonna do that actually. <laughs> now I want you to think about this. This by itself, not good. 
this by itself, not good. This by itself, not good. Put them in the hands of the right person and they can work all those things together for something great. And guys, some of you right now, you're looking around at the things in your life and you're going, the divorce, man, it's not good. The loss, it's not good. The depression, it's not good. The anxiety, it's not good. The financial loss of this year, it's not good. Here's God's promise to you. His promise wasn't that everything in your life would be good. His promise was, because I love you and I'm a good dad and I'm in control of everything, I'll work all those bad things together and I can make them something great. I can bring beauty from your ashes if you'll just trust me and put those things in my hand. So watch this, here's the promise that we've got from God. Here's the promise you've got from God. If you look around at your life, here's what you can bank, you can take this to the bank. Look around at your life, if it's not good, God's not done. That's your hope. If it's not good, God's not done because he's promised to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And he's gonna do that for you so you can trust his heart. So run to him, run to him. Can I pray that you'll do that right now, that God would begin this work in you? And Father, we do that, we wanna offer ourselves to you right now afresh. For a lot of us, we need to do is we need to fully surrender to you in this moment in a way that we haven't in a long time. We need to cast ourselves into the waves and go, man, it may cost me everything, but I'm gonna trust my God that he's in control and he's good. And so God, we offer ourselves anew on the altar of our faith and we trust you. So would you begin that work? I pray that people would come to you maybe for the first time today. I pray that people who have been running from you would turn around. I pray that people who are near to you would draw even nearer and that you give them a sense of your presence. We trust you, we love you, we pray those things in the name of your crucified, risen son Jesus, amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.